sports activities lately of the Super Bowl. So a simple question this morning, are you a sports fan? Do you consider yourself a sports fan? <laughs> Absolutely. And if there are, there's different degrees of sports fans, right? I mean, there's some who are just casual fans who root for their team. And then there's people who, who, uh, who might buy clothes and wear their sports memorabilia around town and promote their team. And then there's folks who will decorate their room with totally decked out in their sports memorabilia or their man cave. There's different degrees. Well, do you know who in the Bible must have been a big sports fan? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Because over and over again in his letters, we see him using sports illustrations to make his point. Sometimes he speaks of wrestling or boxing. Other times he speaks of running and winning the race and receiving the victor's crown. Well, today we're going to see an example of that. So let's begin first just by setting the stage and reading our text for the day, which will be Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Let's read that. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I, so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There are many pictures used in the Bible to represent what it's like to be a believer in Jesus Christ. For example, among these pictures, it's said we're like a soldier fighting the good fight. We're like a farmer sowing the good seed. We're like a branch abiding in the true vine, our Lord, drawing all we need from Christ. We're like a bride, the object of the affection, love, and devotion of our groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are other metaphors or analogies that are used in Scripture to picture or represent what the Christian life is like. We're citizen belonging to a kingdom and living under the commands of the king. We're like a son or a daughter, a part of the family of God. And there are many other metaphors or analogies that are used in Scripture But what we have here is one of the most prominent metaphors used in the New Testament. And that is that you and I, as believers in Jesus, are like an athlete. We're like a runner running a race. Now, I've never been a soldier. And I've never been a farmer. And I've never been a branch. And I've never been a bride. But I have been an athlete. And I know what it looks like and feels like and smells like to be an athlete. Athletics is a a universal language. And everyone here today most likely has been an athlete at some point in your lives. Or at least you understand what it's like to be a runner and to run the race set before you. And this is exactly how Paul represents what it's like to be a believer. And he writes this in an autobiographical way as he uses himself as a teaching tool. To instruct us what it's like to live the Christian life. Knowing that, like we discussed last week, Christ could return at any moment. So how do we live that Christian life? With all of the knowledge and truth and all the information we have, how do I put it into practice? And what's our focus? 
And to some extent, I hope we all want a clearer focus on how to live a Christian life. I mean, all those metaphors I read off earlier point to parts of that, point towards aspects of living the Christian life. And in the text today, Paul is going to present one big picture to help shed light on our Christian walk. So it starts with an honest assessment. First, let's begin in verse 12. Paul makes a very sober assessment when he writes, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. So, let's just break this down and and ask ourselves, what is the it that he is talking about? What is the it that he has not obtained? And actually, it's back in in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 3, where he said that I might know Christ fully, and the power of his resurrection would be realized in my life, and I might be fully conformed to his death. That's what he realizes he hasn't obtained yet. There is more of Christ for him to know, to impact his life. And he hasn't died yet as he's writing this letter. So what Paul is saying here is, I haven't arrived yet. I'm still not there yet. I'm still in process. And this is a pretty amazing statement, is it not? For the Apostle Paul, who Christ himself appeared to on the road to Damascus, the Apostle Paul who some would say, arguably, was the greatest question, question, greatest Christian, excuse me, who ever lived. And Paul, the greatest Christian, says, I'm not there yet. I haven't attained it yet. So if it were true for Paul, we must ask ourselves, how much more is it true for you and for me that we're nowhere near where we need to be in our Christian growth and development. There is still so much more of Christ that we can experience in our own lives. And then he gives a second statement of assessment about himself where he says, or that I have, that I have already become perfect. He says, I certainly haven't hit that mark yet. Although it's interesting that Paul once thought he was blameless. This This supports back to what he said a few verses earlier in in Philippians chapter 3, where he thought he had arrived with God. He was a self-deceived Pharisee. He thought he was a spiritual elitist and had surpassed everyone else in Israel. I'd like to read that this morning with you. He thought he had reached the mountaintop. And this is back in chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Paul said, If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day, he had the right beginning. Of the nation of Israel, he had the right nationality. Of the tribe of Benjamin, he had the right family pedigree. A Hebrew of Hebrews, I mean, you just can't be any more Hebrew than that. As to the law, a Pharisee, he had the right standard. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, he had the right passion. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. He had the right morality. Paul assumed he had arrived as a Pharisee until he met the standard, which is the Lord. And he was no longer comparing himself with someone else in Israel who was a little bit behind him in his Phariseeism. Now when he met Christ, he compared himself to Christ. And his only conclusion was this. I'm a the chief of sinners. 
he had fallen short. So Paul, as he's living his Christian life, now realizes, I've only just begun the race. I've only just begun to become more like Jesus. There's so much more yet to grow into and experience in this life. Peter also understood, also understood this when he wrote in 2 Peter 3.18. He wrote, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying the same thing as Paul is saying here in Philippians. There must be this growing process. Whether you were saved by faith through Christ and the finished work of the cross yesterday, and you're a baby Christian, or whether you were saved 25 years ago, there still must be growth in our lives. There has to be this active pursuit of the goal. There must be a running of the race. That's his point. We must press on towards the prize. Now, I can safely assume that, like Paul, this is where you and I are today. That none of us have arrived. None of us have reached our spiritual mountaintop. None of us can sit back and just be content as to where we are right now. There's still so much more of Jesus for us to follow, to trust, and to obey, and to become like. This This is where Paul was, and this was the first step in living the Christian life. He gave us this very sober assessment. His standard was Jesus, and he realized how far he fell short. So as we move on, the next point in in, in the middle of verse 12 here, Paul Paul gives a strenuous effort. His sober assessment motivated him all the more To become like his Savior. So he continues and he says this. He says, but I press on. But I press on. Now, Paul uses a Greek word which means to move rapidly and decisively after an object. To run swiftly in order to catch another person. And I'm sure we've all experienced this somewhat in our life. Running track, whether on a team or in gym class playing tag with your brother or sister or on the playground, where we run decisively after an object. We're pursuing it. We're running rapidly after our prize in front of us. That's the word here. Press on. Paul is feeling this, that Jesus is so far out in front of him, he says, I press on. And when, when researching this word, it's, it's interesting that Paul also used this exact same word back in verse 6 that we just read, when he said he was a persecutor of the church. Now, a persecutor was someone who chased after Christians in order to apprehend them and drag them before the Jewish leadership, like Stephen when he was stoned to death. So Paul, he's once running after Christians to persecute them. And once he's converted, it's like a 180. God totally turned his life around. Paul is still running full tilt but he's running in a different direction. Now he's pressing on after Christ. Now he wants to catch up to Christ and be as much like Christ as he can possibly be. Do you find that kind of interesting about the Apostle Paul? That even when he was going in the wrong direction, he was running full tilt. Now he's met Christ on the road to Damascus, and with that same energy and that same zeal, he's running as fast as he possibly can after Christ. He's making every effort to push on to spiritual maturity. Laboring often, we've read, 
to the point of exhaustion in his spiritual life. Holding back nothing. Leaving nothing on the playing field. I think this should motivate us this morning to keep pace with Paul as Paul is pursuing the person of Jesus Christ. And he tells us why he's pressing on at the end of verse 12. So let's read that. He says, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So if you look at that statement, what we see here is a classic Cause and effect. But the effect is stated before the cause. The cause is at the end of the verse. That Paul was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. That's what happened first. The cause. In other words, Jesus sought him. Jesus found him. Jesus ran him down. You know, Paul wasn't looking for Jesus. Paul was running after Christians to persecute him. Then... Jesus chased him down, laid hold of him on the road to Damascus, and brought him into the kingdom of heaven. So the effect of what Paul now says is, I want to lay hold of Christ like he once laid hold of me. Jesus was so graceful in his pursuit of me that I must now give my whole life and effort to run after the one who first ran after me. Just like to point out that notice here. In Paul's Christian walk, and the model, a model for ours, is there's nothing passive here. There's no let go and let God. There's no sitting back and waiting for something to happen. There's no dismissal of obedience or personal responsibility. No, Paul is running with all the strength God would give him to run after and pursue Jesus Christ. And that is what the Christian life requires of us. An all-out effort in spiritual disciplines and in living the Christian life. In 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 another book of the Bible, Paul maintains this same theme in 1 Corinthians 9.24. He uses another perfect analogy, the same athletic metaphor. Paul writes this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Run in such a way that you may win. Don't be a loser. Be a winner. Run in such a way that you may win. Run. Don't walk. Run. Don't shuffle. Run. And he continues on there and. In in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I run in such a way as to not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. And in verse 27, he says something very interesting in in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, I discipline my body as to make it my slave. Did you hear that? Do you know what an athlete does? An athlete disciplines his body. An athlete tells his body when to get up. An athlete tells his body when to go for a run. An athlete tells his body when to go to sleep. An athlete tells his body when to work out. That's the way an athlete lives his life. And this is the way a Christian is supposed to live his life. An all-out pursuit of Christ, making his body his slave. An athlete is not a couch potato just sitting down waiting for a feeling. 
You know, we read in the word that we must resist temptation, flee immorality, fight the good fight. We must be diligent to present ourselves as workmen who need not be ashamed. We must discipline ourselves for the purpose of of godliness. We must labor and strive. We must work work out our salvation in fear and trembling. We must pray without ceasing. We must cry out for the pure milk of the word. These are all very active verbs describing the pursuit of Christ-likeness. So, let's all be encouraged this morning. And I want to challenge you as I would challenge myself this morning to discipline ourselves for godliness. Discipline our bodies and make it our slave. Let's bring our life into submission under the lordship of Christ in spiritual disciplines like Bible studies and Bible reading and prayer and worship together corporately on Sunday and individually and missions and fellowship and serving others. These are all part of running the race that God has put before us. So as we move on to verse 13, we see that Paul had a singular focus. Now, a great runner must keep his eyes on the prize. So notice what Paul says. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. He says, brethren. It's like, pause for a second. It's like Paul's kind of reaching down and grabbing him by the shirt and pulling him forward or leaning into them, right? And he's saying, brethren, brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet. We've only just begun. He hasn't laid hold of it yet. This full knowledge, there's so much more of Christ for us to know and experience in order to conform to his likeness and our attitudes and reactions and speech and priorities. He says, I'm not there yet. Now, brethren, I do not regard. That's interesting to me. This word is interesting. See if you can hear the English word in it. Logizomai. Logizomai. Logarithms. Logic, I do not regard. Paul is doing the math. Paul is doing the calculations. And he says, this isn't, this isn't like an emotional reaction. He's very, making a very careful calculation of, of who Christ is and where he is in his own spiritual life. So he says, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But I love what he says next. He says, but one thing I do. Not two things or three things. One thing is rising to the top. One overriding priority. Everything else is a distant second. This one thing that demands Paul's attention and concentration. What is this one thing? He continues forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. You know, in the metaphor we've been looking at here is an athlete running a race. Any of you know that you can't really run your fastest when you're looking behind you? Watching football games on Sunday afternoon, how many times have we seen this to where a receiver catches the pass and he's running down the sideline, you know, towards the touchdown, run as fast as he can, looks back to see where the defensive guy is, defensive back. He shortens his stride just a little bit and the guy catches him and pushes him out of bounds, right? We know that you can't run the absolute fastest you can run when you're looking back. And this is what Paul is saying here and what we should 
And, and what would Paul be looking back to? Past sins, past failures, past tragedies, past hurts, past defeats, past victories. Even past victories can break our stride. Because we begin to cruise and then we begin to slow down and we stop pushing and stretching for the finish line. You know, Jesus said in Luke 9:62, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. There really should be no rearview mirror as we run the race. There's no looking back. Some of us here today, might need to let something in the past go and just stop carrying it around with us. It's over. Confess whatever sin there is, and by the grace of God, forget it and move forward to what lies ahead. Press on forward to what lies ahead. So this leads us to the positive end of the verse, where Paul says that he's reaching forward to what lies ahead. And the Greek word here used for reaching forward means to stretch, but not just like a little simple stretch. It's Paul is straining. He's reaching out and straining in his pursuit to his absolute limit, reaching forward and grabbing something, straining every spiritual muscle in your body in your pursuit of Jesus to become like him. Man, it's really quite a picture. It's quite a picture in Scripture this morning to challenge and encourage us. That we all need to be more highly motivated and better disciplined in our Christian lives. And not so content with what we know and where we are in the moment and become more like Paul. Paul's not sitting back. He's forgetting what lies behind. He's forgetting that they laid the robes at his feet when Stephen was stoned to death. I mean, that event alone could have propelled him into years of Christian therapy. But he says, no, I am forgetting what lies behind. And I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead. And what lies ahead is the greatest treasure, the greatest prize. It's Christ himself. So so how does this speak to your heart today? I mean, where are you in your Christian life, in your Christian walk right now? What do you need to let go of? What baggage do you need to discard? What failures or past sins? How do you need to reach forward with greater effort in your spiritual life? How do you need to pick up your pace in pursuit of our Savior? Well, let's conclude with verse 14. Paul kept a swift pace and he says again, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, we already said that in verse 12, so he repeats it again in verse 14, I press on. To underscore it in our minds and in our thinking, and remember, it means to run swiftly to catch a person, and this is in the present tense, right? So Paul is essentially saying, I am always, I'm always pressing on. This isn't just like Sunday morning, 9.15 to 10.30 pressing on. And this isn't just a Thursday morning Bible study pressing on or a fellowship group sometime. This is like continual. I'm always pressing on. It's in the active voice. There's no slowing down for Paul. He seems to be picking up speed here as he's running his race. He's pressing on toward the goal. And toward means has this connotation also when you look at the Greek word of translation that you're, you're bearing down on something. 
that Paul is bearing down towards the goal. There's this intensity about him as he's bearing down on his target for the prize. And the prize seems to be what's motivating him. A prize is what motivates an athlete. A trophy. Simply completing a marathon or a triathlon would be a prize. To win a gold medal motivates an Olympic athlete. Think of those guys. They train for years to win the prize, to get the Olympic medal. Paul has a far greater motivation to win the prize, to reach the goal. And it it is at the end of the race, and it is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we see here that Paul, obviously, we know that while on earth, as a believer, Paul was called to Christ. So I believe this is an upward call to Christ in heaven. This upward call where he will either be pulled up into heaven when he dies, or like we talked about last week, when Christ returns and he's pulled up. This upward call. And as he comes to the end of his life, he can see the finish line, and Paul's bearing down. It's pulling him forward. It's this prize of Christ that's empowering him to overcome whatever might be in his path. And so we see here that when he receives at some point this upward call, Paul is determined not to be shuffling down the track. He will not be on the bench And he will not be a spectator in the stands. Paul will be on the track running faster than at any other time in his life when this upward call of God comes and the prize is Christ. The treasure is Christ. To really enter into that fullness of the relationship that starts here on earth for us but now is complete in heaven knowing that all eternity will be spent with Jesus and every hardship and obstacle will be made very much worthwhile. So as we conclude this little passage of Scripture that gives us a hint into the Christian life, ponder these questions. First of all, are you in the race? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ, as the one who washes away your sins. Okay, now if you are in the race, are you running hard? Are you reaching out to the fullness of your extent to grow in your knowledge and understanding of the Lord? It's clear that Paul loved our Lord above himself and above anything else in the world. And it was this love for Christ and his desire for the prize to be with Christ forever that impacted his actions on earth. And so I just hope this week, for you and for me, that we're all challenged to live our lives in a very similar manner as we pursue Christ, as we run the race and we're running hard. So in preparation of that, let's stand and sing together. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee.